We are on Sunday nights talking about training the 12. We have been in this series on Sunday nights all throughout 2015. And uh, we are finishing the training of the 12. And the whole idea is we're looking at the lessons that Jesus taught uh, to the apostles and how they applied to them then and how they apply to us now. And we are finishing 2015 uh, looking at the final moments with Jesus and the apostles in the upper room. And we've, we're specifically focusing on the Gospel of John. So if you want to turn to John chapter 14, we'll be there in just a minute. As we look at it from John's account, what's very interesting, we've said past couple of lessons, John spends 25% of his entire book on these, what are probably five or six hours, Jesus and his apostles. That tells us a lot about what happened in those final moments. This is the last time, the last meal Jesus will eat with this group as a whole. It's the last time that he will be with them collectively. And so it is a, it's a very important moment. We believe there's a lot of important lessons we can draw from it. So we're in John's account of the upper room. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to add a picture uh, to the uh, pictures that we've been adding so far. We started in John chapter 13 with Jesus washing the apostles' feet. And we said that, that the lesson of that is not just about good Christian service. It's that we all need to be washed. The, the lesson of the towel is not just about doing good and being kind and Christians do good. Those are okay things. But he was imparting to them a gospel message. Whether you are sinner or saint, you still need to be washed by Jesus. And that was everyone from Peter all the way down to Judas. Last week, we talked about the bread. And specifically the bread that Jesus shared with Judas as a sign to show the other apostles who was going to betray him. But we said... With this bread, it symbolizes the betrayal. And that we are called to love even as Jesus loved. Uh, even when people betray us, even when people are all unkind. What we said last week uh, is that even though he passed the bread to Judas first, eventually all of the apostles got the bread because all of them would betray him. And, and we passed out bread last week. Hopefully the lesson wasn't lost on you that, that we all in here, have betrayed Jesus at one point, directly by sinning or indirectly by not doing what we're supposed to do. And so, uh, even though we've all partaken of the bread, Jesus still loves us just the same. The year was 1996. Is it possible? Is it possible that it's been almost 20 years ago? Well, there it was, Edmond, Oklahoma. And I had... Uh, received a scholarship to and was enrolled in uh, this college called Oklahoma Christian University. Now, I had visited a few times, but I was intending to live there, to stay there for the next uh, three or four years. And so I can remember that day very clearly. It was, uh, it was in August of 1996, and my mom and my grandmother had taken me down Marched me to my dorm room, had met some of my roommate and some other people that were nearby. They helped me make my bed and they, they put some things on the wall, helped me put my clothes away. Just those things that, you know, you do for your 
for your first one when he's going off to college that first time. And uh, I, it didn't really dawn on me until, you know, we kind of got the room sorted out and everything was where it should be. And, and it was apparent that, you know, it was time for them to get on the road in order to get back to Wichita in time. And so I walked them down to the car and I, we hugged and we gave our kisses and they got in the car and I shut the door. And I remember just this, this moment is very clear in my mind of standing there in that parking lot by the dorm and watching the taillights of, I think it was my grandmother's car, as, as she and mom drove away. And it hit me that for the first time, I was on my own. I mean, truly, completely, I, I was flying from the nest into the eagle's nest, as it were, but I was, I was, I had the freedom to do absolutely whatever I wanted. The rules were no longer there. I was no longer under my mother's roof. And you know how important his roof is to rules, right, parents? Okay. So what did I do? I went straight to the cafeteria and ate all the cookies I could find and spoiled my dinner. It is... It is an interesting point in life where you come to a point and you realize that for the first time, you get to make every decision on your own. Will you get up for class? Will you stay up very late? Will you make good choices? Will you decide to study hard and make good grades? Those choices are in your hands. Well, if you can relate to that, then you can relate to our third picture tonight. And this is the point where... All of the disciples come to where they realize that they are looking at the proverbial taillights of Jesus. He is telling them, I've got to go. I'm leaving you. And where I'm going, you can't come right now. And so tonight's picture is really the best I can give of of. Trust is what we're going to talk about. But these are empty sandals. Because for three years, you see, these 11 men, as what was left in the room, had walked with Jesus. They had sat at his feet. They had heard his lessons. They had watched him teach with authority. They had seen the miracles firsthand. I mean, when, when people, crowds, thousands of people were watching Jesus, the apostles were right here on the front row. They were watching the master work. They had seen the lessons. They had seen the miracles. They had watched the ministries. They had walked with him. They had asked him all these questions. And they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Unfortunately, they had the wrong idea about Messiah. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, hey guys, I'm going to leave you. And unfortunately, you cannot come. And just like that, that day at Oklahoma Christian, I'm sure they had that sinking feeling in the pit of their stomach. That, that little bit of fear, maybe that lot of fear. Well, what, are you, what are we supposed to do now? I mean... You're the answer guy. You, you've been the guy that we went to. You've been the guy that we asked. You've been the, you've been the guy that people wanted to see. 
You know, nobody comes and said they wanted to talk to Peter or Judas or Thomas. No, they all wanted to talk to Jesus. And now you're leaving us? What are we supposed to do? Jesus is going to answer them tonight. But if I had to boil the entire lesson down to one thing that he asked them to do, that is, I need you to trust me. Just like you trusted me on the Sea of Galilee. Just like you trusted me with the loaves and fishes. Even though uh, my sandals will be empty. I need you to trust me uh, for this next step of the journey. Now you're in your Bibles, John chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. If you're not, I hope you'll get there. Jesus says these words to his beloved friends. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place I am going. Verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus answered, I. And the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me. Who is doing this work? Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these. Because I am going to the Father. This whole lesson number three is all about one thing. It's all about trust. The problem is, the apostles were in a difficult time. The apostles were facing transition. Think of what the apostles were about to face. I mean, they had seen all of this. They had been with Jesus the whole time. But in one night, in less than 24 hours, things are going to so drastically turn their world upside down. It's going to be very different Uh, Certainly from when they entered that city just a week ago. They were going to face the arrest and crucifixion of what I'm going to say is their very best friend. They're going to watch as he is persecuted from Jewish leaders and they themselves will be threatened and will go into exile. They're going to face uncertainty about the future. You see, remember they had left their 
trade, you know, fishermen and tax collectors. They had walked away from that. They had left their families to walk with Jesus three years. And now what? What's the plan? Uncertainty, persecution, arrest and crucifixion of their leader. These were dark hours. What I love about the Gospel of John, if you read the entire book, he, he keeps using this light and, and dark picture. Light and dark. It was, it's as if he's trying to give the entire narrative mood lighting, for lack of better description. And, and note, when Jesus, Judas goes to betray Jesus, uh, this is in the end of chapter 13, What does John picture that time? If you look at the text, John says, Judas left, and it was night. There is a very important picture. It's dark physically, but there's darkness that is permeating the souls and the hearts of these 11 men who are left. Darkness of doubt. Darkness of uncertainty. Darkness of fear. The, the kingdom that Jesus had talked about, Jesus was handing it to them and he's saying, I'm handing it to you and I'm out of here. They faced a decision. In that very room, they had to decide who they were going to be. Who were they Really? Not just while Jesus was with them, but even more so after Jesus was not. You and I face the same question. Which type of person are you going to be? I I share with you the following clip from the movie called Signs. Now, the movie's a strange movie about aliens invading the world, but that's sort of the, 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 the top story. The real story is the character played by Mel Gibson, who is a a minister, and he has lost his faith. He's no longer practicing. And it is this terror, which I think is exactly what the apostles were facing. And so, if we'll bring the lights down just a little bit, we'll watch this short clip. Some people are probably thinking this is the end of the world. That's true. Do you think it could be? Yes. How can you say that? That wasn't the answer you wanted. Couldn't you pretend to be like you used to be? (sighs) Give me some comfort. something lucky group number one sees it as more than luck more than coincidence they see it as a sign evidence that there is someone up there watching out for them group number two sees it as just pure luck a happy turn of chance I'm sure the people in group number two are looking at those 14 lights in a very suspicious way for them the situation is a 50-50. Could be bad. Could be good. 
fills them with fear. There's a whole lot of people in the group number one. And they see those 14 lights. They're looking at a miracle. And deep down, they feel that whatever's going to happen, there'll be someone there to help them. And that fills them with hope. So what you have to ask yourself is, what kind of person are you? Are you the kind that sees signs? these miracles or do you believe that people just get lucky or look at the question this way is it possible that there are no coincidences the problem is that the twelve were deeply fearful Between group number one and group number two, they were falling into the group that, I mean, if Jesus leaves us, then we really are alone. Now, what's what's interesting to me, I I wondered, I wondered if if that clip would resonate with the Sunday night crowd. Fear versus faith. I mean, you're here twice on Sundays. I I would guess you have faith. But my contention is that even for people who are here on the second service, there's all been a time in your life when the doctor delivered some bad news, when the boss gave you the pink slip, when the attorney... It gave you the divorce papers when the child became estranged. When you struggled with which group I'm in. And I want you to know that you are in good company. That those 11 who sat around that table, closest friends that Jesus had, struggled at this very moment at least. And in the the night to come, with who they were. That is our deepest problem. Fear is rooted in our DNA. You remember Genesis chapter 3, the story of the fall? There is that moment after Adam and Eve have partaken of the fruit of which God told them not to partake. And they hear the voice of God. And for the first time in all of creation, a very sad thing happens. They hide. And God calls to them and says, uh, where are you? Now, Now stop for just a second. I don't need you to think that God didn't know where they were. He knew. He needed them to know where they were. And Genesis chapter 3 verse 10, the scripture tells us that they said, I heard your voice. And yet I was afraid because I was naked. Now, I think certainly it was because physically they were naked. But for the first time in God-man's relationship, they were spiritually naked. They were vulnerable. They were absolutely worthy of his wrath and his justice. They were afraid. 
They feared God. They feared their creator who loved them and who made them from dust and ribs and who gave them everything that they needed, everything that they wanted, and they feared him. They ran from God. They hid from God. Adam and Eve somehow, some way, passed that along in our DNA. That when you and I mess up, be we be a young child, a, a rebellious teenager, a, an older adult, when we mess up, our instinct is fear and hiding. The disciples are now very troubled because they're with him now. But what about this time when he leaves? The disciples were troubled because they focused on themselves. And Jesus is saying, I need you to focus on me. I need you to trust in me. But all they could think about is what they had given up and invested. And all they could wonder about is what would happen next to them. And wondering what they might lose, whether it would cost them their treasure or their family or the relationships or even their lives. These men were drowning in their own sorrows. And see, that's what happens when you become troubled and fearful. You see the difficulties as too great and the resources as too small. And so to keep them from sinking in fear, Jesus calls them to take hold of a life preserver. In fact, the only remedy for fear is faith. The only remedy is faith. Look at verse 1 of chapter 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Right? He's addressing their fear. Then he says, trust in God. Fear and faith. I, to, to illustrate this, I, I need you to try to understand that fear and faith are on the same plane, but they go in opposite directions. And so I've asked Drew Sandlin and Nathan Cachero to come up and help me illustrate this for just a minute. Guys, if you'll come down here, Nate, if you'll stand right here, and Drew, if you'll stand right here. Now, this is what was being addressed in the clip we showed, right? Group number one, group number two. We are either... All in faith, we believe that there is someone out there, there is someone good, that we are not alone. Or we're in group number two, and we believe wholeheartedly that push comes to shove, at the end of everything, we are entirely on our own. And this fills us with fear. Now, unlike Mr. Gibson's speech... I think that people go back and forth between these two extremes. Even on a Sunday night crowd, I'm willing to say that there are people at some point who've kind of etched over here. Even for people of faith, sometimes we, like the apostles, go towards fear. The important thing is... To understand this, once you understand where you're at, you then understand the natural response. See, if you're a person of faith, the natural response to everything, go ahead, 
is trust. When you believe, when you trust in God and also in Jesus, you have a trust deep within you, at your core, that no matter what happens, it's going to be okay. It's going to work out. I remember when uh, Tyler was about three or four, and we were playing a little game that was kind of his age. And we were playing along, and I don't let my kids win. I mean, whatever their age, I I want them to win, you know, fairly, because I'm a just man. And I'm pretty good at games. And this particular game, uh, he actually won. He he got everything right. And I said, Tyler, you beat me. And I was kind of had that surprise look, and he kind of hopped off his chair, and he went around, and he just tapped me on the shoulder, and he said, it'll be okay, Dad. People in this group understand that no matter what happens, even in the darkest of nights, even when they're facing the judgment, when they're facing their very lives being on the line, something within them says, it's going to be okay. I trust you. Now, the other extreme of that are people of fear. And their natural response, whether it's good or bad, is comes down to one thing. Control. Control. If I can just well, see, I'm all alone now, so I got to make it work out. I got to I got to put all my ducks in a row. I got to got to somehow work this out on my own because I am on my own. As an avowed control freak, uh, let me tell you, I struggle with group one and group two. Because so much of me tries to control everything. Because that all comes from fear. And Jesus is saying to the apostles, he's saying to us, I need you to step away from fear. Because there is control. (laughs) Control is such an illusion. You can't even control what's going to happen in the next few hours. Remember, he said that to Peter. Peter's like, I'll lay down my life for you. Jesus says, listen, the rooster's going to crow and before he does, you'll have denied me three times. For, for, for those of us constantly in the driver's seat, who, who need to have control of everything, let me tell you, that comes from a place. That comes from somewhere deep down where you believe that God may be up there somewhere. But he has, he has left me alone. And he expects me to handle it all by myself. That's Satan's lie too. He makes us say, did God really say? God didn't really say that. You just need to understand that you need to do what you want to do. Which are you between faith and trust or fear and control? That night, the eleven were eerily close to this. Remember, Jesus knew their hearts. And what he needed them to do was go back over here. To do what he had called them to do from the time when he called them to leave their nets. From the time when he called them to to pass out the loaves and the fishes. From the time when he, he said, I just... Need you to trust me. I know Lazarus is dead, but I'm going to get there. He needed them to trust him then.
And he needed them to trust him now. And he needs us to do the same. Even a Sunday night crowd. Thank you guys for helping us understand a little more about faith and fear. You can have a seat. Jesus was trying to guide them. And the only strategy, the only way to do it is to trust Jesus. Now, I know, I know that seems so simple. But if you're a person of faith, you know there are many times when that is not easy. Remember what the psalmist said in Psalm 23? If you want to hold your finger in John 14 and flip over to that beautiful old psalm, David says in verse 4, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The apostles and Jesus are getting ready to march down into a valley that's very dark. And Jesus is getting ready to walk down there with him, and he's going to know, even in that very moment when he needed them the most, the most, the beginnings of their betrayal. They couldn't even stay awake while he prayed the most passionate prayers of his life. The psalmist says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be, what? Afraid. The psalmist said it. God says it. Jesus reminds us of it. Between faith and fear, he wants us to trust. Now, he wants us to trust two things. I put them with the letter P on your outline for those of you filler outers. Um, first is he needs you to trust in the person. He, he's very clear that he is God and that I and the Father are one. And that when you see the Father, you, when you see me, you see the Father. Verse 8, Philip, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough. Well, how does Jesus respond? You're looking at him. Do you get that? What have these three years been about if I and the Father are not one? Paul would later write to the church at Colossae, For in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily I don't claim to understand that, but I do want to trust the person of Jesus. Who did he claim to be? He claimed to be the only way. How did he prove that? Well, he's going to prove it here in a few days with the resurrection. Let me ask you this. When has Jesus let you down? When has he not shown himself to be loving and faithful and true and trustworthy? I love the response in John chapter 6, verse 66, John 6, 66 is the saddest verse in the Bible. John records this. Many left Jesus and no longer followed him because of some tough teachings. And he turns to the apostles and he says, what about you? Are you going to leave too? And Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? To the control freaks out there, whom shall we go? You going to go to yourself? Well, that's worked out well, hasn't it? Are you going to go to other people just as frail and just as human as you? What, who are you going to go to? Peter reminds us we have no one to fully trust other than Jesus alone. And second is we have to trust the presence of Jesus. He says, believe in God, believe also in me. In your life, most things are going to change. The other day I was looking at 
pictures on our wall. Um, and, you know, baby pictures of Tyler and Grace. And here's an interesting thing that just blows my mind. Their cells are growing and changing and replicating all the time. So physically, they are totally, literally, totally different people, and yet they're the very same people. Jesus said, I need you to trust in me. I need you to believe that though everything in your life changes, even your cells, everything about your life is in constant change. Steve talked about that this morning with the, the seasons, and there's a time appropriate for everything. But this will not change. I will not leave you. I will not abandon you. You can trust me. He's saying, in other words, I won't be with you here, but I haven't left you. He's going to go on to this. It's so beautiful. I, I, I'm not with you physically, but I am still with you. We, we, I hear this many times in the public prayer. Be with us. Be with us. Be with us. It's like we don't believe that he promised to be with us. He promised this. Matthew chapter 28, the, the, the famous commission to the apostles, the great commission. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now you stop and think about that. What's he saying? Jesus is saying, I was with you then, I'm with you now, I'll be with you in the future, I'll be here when you aren't here. I'm not going anywhere. I will never leave you or forsake you, Hebrews 13 verse 5 says. When you trust Emmanuel, you are trusting in a God who is with you. Not just that he came down once and, and lived a life and that he's with us in some uh, esoteric sense. He is with us. That's what the incarnation was all about. He came to be with us, to put on our skin and live with us and understand that God hasn't given up or abandoned us. What he needs for us is not to pray, Lord, be with us, Lord, be with us. He needs us to be with him. If we're with him, we don't have to worry about anything. We're all over here. I'm sorry, all over here in the faith and trust camp. Peter would later write this. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. I have never physically with my eyes seen the Jesus Christ, the Lord. But there is no one in whom I believe and trust more. Now, if we'll trust in the person and we'll trust in the presence, there's only one natural result. And we'll finish with this. That you will do. And the only result is greater things. Jesus healed the blind, the deaf, the mute, the paralyzed, the demon possessed. He raised the dead. And we're going to do greater things? You ever look at this verse and go, what? We're going to do greater things than Jesus? I, I, I like what one commentator helped me understand it. He did, the, the church was going to do greater things not in power, but in sheer scale. Um, 
Jesus never preached outside 175 miles from his home where he was born. The church would extend from Jerusalem to the whole world in a single day. Jesus had that three-year ministry. The church has been going for over 2,000 years. The power was in, within Jesus, within the physical person of Jesus. But the power in the church is within the spirit who resides within each of us. The church exceeded his public ministry, not in power, but in scale. Think about it, just here at Northside. How many people do you suppose have been baptized in 76 years? I'll propose we can't even count the number. How many people have been grown up in Christ and taught and matured and discipled? We don't know. How many people have taken the Bible correspondence course through Know Your Bible? No idea. Steve and I figured it up. In the history of Know Your Bible, we've answered 10,000 questions. We get so many more Bible correspondence requests than that every single year. So it's far greater than that. How many women have grown at the women's conference? We don't know. And, and we are just one church in one town, in one Midwest state, in one country, in one 76-year period of all history. Look what we have done. Not because of our power, but because of His power. Is this our doing? No. It's God. It's Christ. It's His Spirit working within us. And so He finishes with this promise, Ask anything in my name. And I'll do it. And we're going to talk about that promise, but we're going to talk about that promise next week. Tonight, I want to invite you to come and put your trust and faith and reliance in the Savior. I want you to be on this side. If you've been having trouble with fear and doubt and dismay and trouble, and you need to ask the church for help and encouragement then please come. If you've never put on Christ in baptism and you are ready to take that first step, please come. I'll meet you down front if you have any need. Join us as together we stand and sing.